is not what I am Even though my zip code has changed I might smile and enjoy Where I'm currently employed Your soul can't be rearranged It's episode 5 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast Your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast I'm Steve Garshinsky And with me is J.P. Breen and Ryan Top. You know what I realized? I have last week's intro on here. So it's talking about how you're going to see the eclipse. So if you want to right now, how was the eclipse? Cloudy. Very, very cloudy. It's the sun. Didn't it like make it through the clouds? So what happened? I'll be brief, but we uh, we drove to Kansas City. This was like a 10-hour total drive to do that. We went to a lecture the day before where they told us how awe-inspiring and life-changing. Like everybody on vacation, go see a lecture. Was going Yes. So we, we scouted out locations. That morning, we made a decision that we were going to go, instead of going an hour north of Kansas City to see the eclipse, we were going to go two hours east of Kansas City based on weather reports that said partly cloudy instead of mostly cloudy. So we drove two hours and... That's the same damn thing. Well, mostly cloudy and partly cloudy, the same damn thing, but it's not. So anyway, anyway, we get set up. It's gorgeous. Everything's perfect. The eclipse is going and we can see clouds like piling up to the west of us about 10 minutes ish before totality uh, clouds started moving over the sun as totality happened. It started to rain and it rained for about three minutes, which is how long totality was. And then. Um, the clouds were gone about 10 minutes after totality. So we have some awesome photographs of the eclipse going up and the eclipse coming down. And then in the middle of it is just like clouds. Well, you know, that's what the sun would look like anyways. It would be blocked. So basically you got the same. So we got darkness, but we were sitting under a giant rain cloud. So like it was <laughs> just like, well, what if this is the cloud and what if this is, you know, whatever. And uh, yeah, so I was, I was less than amused. Uh, fortunately, the place we would have gone had it even worse. So the decision that we like made. Yeah, so screw those guys. I'm glad it really turned out well, shitty for them. That was the fact that like a rain cloud impeded the view of the entire reason you went to this place feel like a metaphor for something larger? Yes. Yes, it did. It <laughs> life's futility. It was all it was all very yeah, I was I was in a pretty rod mood there for about 20 minutes. Yeah, we saw. So, uh, anyways, we want you to submit questions. So, follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate or email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page for Milwaukee's uh, Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And you can ask Ryan questions directly on Facebook about the eclipse. So, uh, do that. Follow the Facebook page. Um, you can also follow Ryan, JP, and myself on Twitter. And you'll find that in our Twitter bio on MKE Tailgate. Uh, just a quick reminder that we're uh, sponsored by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Uh, Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV series like Game of Thrones, which uh, I think the finale is tonight as we record. That's why we want to record as early as possible so nobody has to deal with like spoilers online. We can watch it as it happens. So, Because uh, Ryan's all caught up. I am caught up now. JP, you caught up on Game of Thrones? If it's still season two, absolutely. <laughs> Don't you have to like write a thesis or something about Game of Thrones? It's more exciting than actual history. No. No, I don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you're looking to create a professional sounding podcast, check out the Mix Pre 3 or the Mix Pre 6. And for more information, visit sounddevices.com. Also get a better host. Sorry. I... <laughs> hey. I... Whoa, remember, I edit this thing, so that's not going to stay in there. That's for I sure. I decided to spare everybody my Game of Thrones thoughts, too. <laughs> Wait, does anybody online have thoughts about Game of Thrones? I haven't seen anything recently. So Or the, or the McGregor Mayweather fight. Yeah. Did anybody buy that uh, cluster of a oh, uh, I watched pay-per-view? It. Oh, that's right. You did some legal stream, right? It was like through Pornhub I or something, probably. Can neither confirm nor deny any of that. Really porn. <laughs> Ryan, well, put, we're off the rails. <laughs> Ryan put Mayweather McGregor into Pornhub <laughs> and got the uh, bootleg feed. So, um, anyways, uh, Brewers—they're still out west. Uh, they took one of two from San Francisco. 
They did one of three, but close. Or one of three from San Francisco. I don't know. Time's just moving at a snail's pace right now. And uh, they currently are one and one in Los Angeles and playing the third game this afternoon. And as we record, they're up three nothing right now with Jimmy Nelson on the mound. Um, thoughts on how this uh, road trip's going at the moment? We kind of got JP's view last week, Ryan. So what do you think right now? I mean, if they end up coming back from this because they took two of three in Colorado as well? Yes. Yeah. I mean, if they end up coming back from this thing five and four, that's fantastic. West Coast road trips are almost always bad. And five and four against three, well, two good teams and one horrible team. That would be quite acceptable. And it's not like they've ever played well out in San Francisco. That's always been a horror show. No, it doesn't work for them. So. Well, and it's been a it's been a choppy series with a lot of off, off days, late nights. And so, you know, last week we talked about if they could win, if they could not get swept by both the Giants and the Dodgers, it gave them a position to start playing a lot of NL Central games and, and try to make a run at it. And so, you know, they didn't get swept against the Giants, even if they did lose one. Uh, uh, they lost two out of the three. And. They've already won a game against the Dodgers and are currently leading uh, another game. So if they could win again, if they could win a series against the, Do- have the Dodgers lost many series all year? I mean, that'd be ridiculous. I don't, I don't they've think they've really lost many series since like the beginning of May. Yeah, it's. I been... mean, they've got 91, 91 or ninety two wins already, mm-hmm. and we're not, we're not even in September. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. The Dodgers are just they're playing at a different level right now. So. Um, whatever the Brewers can take from them is, is a win. Uh, so we'll start off, uh, which is more realistic for the crew, the wild card or division. And that's from Ryan Neuenschwander. I hope I'm getting there. Newey. I knew a guy in high school that we had called Newey. Do, do you know this guy? No. Okay. So we're not going to call him Newey. His name's Ryan. Well, no, uh, his, his handle says Newey. Fine. <laughs> Jesus. I know. This podcast is going to be like three hours long if you keep interjecting. Uh, okay, I guess so at this point. What are we thinking? Wild card or division for the crew? They're currently four games back in the wild card. Um, and in the division, they are two and a half games behind the Cubs. I mean, Steve and I talked about this last week. So I think Ryan should have an opportunity to interject. I mean, ultimately, I still think that the Cubs are a much better team than the Rockies are. So even though they're a little bit closer to the Cubs at the moment, I'd still say that the better chances of catching the Rockies. Well, and Holland's torn, it turned into a horror show in the ninth inning for the Rockies. Yes. Like yeah, I think he just, got, he just got taken out of a save situation. And it looks like Pat Neshek will probably be the guy taking the next save opportunity. So, Side armor. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I, I would say, we all respect the Cubs enough to really think that making up four games against the um, the Rockies is probably more likely at this point. It's right. probably I mean, about the, an even bet, though. I was going to say, but mathematically, the fact that there are so many games, there are two series against the Cubs and a lot of games still left NL Central folks. Like mathematically, there aren't a lot of games that wouldn't pertain to the NL Central race and that would just consistently and only go to the wild card race. I so, think, I mean, I get though, one thing, the Cubs schedule is exceptionally soft. Yeah, I think the, like Brewers the Brewers are like, are like the, the only best, winning team. They're like the best team they have left on their schedule by a considerable margin, I thought. Where, I mean, Colorado's probably got to face Arizona and the Dodgers a few times to round out the season since think, most teams yeah. tend to end against their division again. Yeah. But, like, even if the Cubs have to play, maybe the Pirates are in there and they're considered not a 500 ball club, but that's still not going to be an easy easy series or anything like that. I mean, I don't have the Cubs roster out in front of me or their, their schedule out in front of me, but I can't imagine that they're playing just like the Reds and the Mets and the Marlins. Like I imagine that they're going to be teams that, you know, have, do they still have to do a West coast swing or are they done out of that? Man, you're killing me by trying to pull up a Cubs schedule right now. They have, Seven games against the Pirates. They play the Cardinals. They play the Rays. They play the Cardinals again, and they play us twice. They don't have an easy schedule. They play the Pirates, the Braves, the Pirates, the Brewers. Then they have the Mets, the Cardinals, the Rays, us, the Cardinals, and the Reds. But, I mean, the Brewers are the best team left on their schedule. 
not by a ton. Yeah, but I mean the best the best team against the Brewers schedule right now is probably the Cubs. I think uh, they, they still play, play the three, Nationals. They play three they? the Nationals, but uh, but aside from that, the Cubs are still the best team. I mean, they've got the Reds, they've got the Pirates, they've got the Cardinals, they've got the Marlins. I mean, it's the same schedule except you know maybe you just throw out they play the Mets and. You know the Brewers play play the Nationals, but aside from that, it's pretty much the exact same thing. So I think that's a little overblown. So yeah, I mean, again, I think we're sitting here with the wild card might be a better shot, but it's not. It's pretty close. Yeah, it's not a lot better than what their chances are. Probably just going head to head against the Cubs. So, um, okay, next question is from Jerry Eldred. The Brewers' offense was once considered a strength, but is now sunk to the bottom half of the league in runs per game and OPS+. plus. Do you think they tried to make major upgrades in the offseason, or do they pray and hope the offense is good enough going forward? Well, okay, so first off, they're in the bottom of MLB, but basically in the middle of the pack in the NL. They're essentially league average in terms of run scoring. The last time I looked at it, they were six one hundredths of a run below the league average, which when you figure in Miller Park is a little bit hitter friendly. It probably makes them a little bit worse than average then, but not drastically. Well, but it's also, I mean, but the point of the question, which I I actually, I think it is worth discussing because it was pretty much the first two months of the year in which they were top three or four in terms of OPS or in terms of run per game in the, the NL. And they really have dropped. I mean, it's not like, I know that it's the entire season in its totality, but if you look at trends, they're not trending in a direction that would give anybody confidence in terms of this offense going into next year. I think it's the thrust of the question, right? It is. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've, they've been down post all-star break. They haven't really recovered even before, even before that, right? They're not scoring at the rates they were early in the year where they were really, they were scoring right, because a lot even, even, even like the, their good stretch just before the all-star break, that was largely based on the fact that their bullpen and their starting rotation were starting to be really good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. They were winning. They're winning some low scoring games that they just haven't been able to win lately. So, right. I mean, as far as upgrades, you know, again, they're in such a weird position because we didn't think they would be contending this year. So I think all the upgrades were always kind of planned as who's going to get promoted, who's going to get promoted, who's going to develop. Like that's, I still think that's the majority of what, they may try to upgrade one position, but that's difficult because none of the positions are other than second base with Neil Walker coming in to help boost that. Um, and I guess you could say center field has been weak on the weak side, but they have their number one prospect who they just made a big show of not trading at the trade deadline. Um, and he's going to be presumably uh, looking to get a lot of the, the playing time in center field next year. I don't know where the upgrade happens. I don't know where you go. I mean, I guess you could go out and get a catcher, but finding a really good hitting catcher is not easy to do. And I'm yeah. So I just don't see where they would go and do that. I think it's, they're going to hope that the young players that they have develop more than anything. Yeah. I think Brinson is the obvious place that they consider has an opportunity to be a pretty large upgrade. Even, even though Broxton's played, actually quite well since he's been recalled. But I think one of the biggest things that's happened this year is young players also need to, you know, we talked a little, I talked a little bit about on, on Twitter, they need to learn how to play with pressure. And that's something that you can only learn by trying to go through it. And that's important. And that's in terms of team progression, in terms of individual player progression, you need to learn how to deal with expectations. You need to learn to deal with the fact that everybody is coming in and there are close games and you're expected to produce because the the wins and losses matter. But it's also, how do you deal with playing every single day for six months? And these, these guys who were down in the minors have shorter seasons. You get more breaks because there are more players on a team that you can get a little bit more rotation. And so these young players are not only dealing with contention but they're just dealing with the grind and domingo santana like isn't used to playing this many games 
in MLB and having to deal with the grind and the pressure and all the lights on him all the time. The same thing can be Shaw is considerably, you know, a veteran, but he's still a pre-arbitration player. It's not like he's a grizzled vet. The only players that you could say are really used to it are, you know, Neil Walker. Now that he's on the team, Brian Braun, Steven Vogt, kind of. Yeah. So even Vogt's never been really a a true full-time player. Right. And then you could say Eric Thames, maybe, but only because of being in Korea, because, you know, obviously in Korea, he had tons of pressure. Everybody was looking at him. Everybody's still writing about him in Korea. So I think people can look at that, but he's still trying to deal with playing against major league pitching for the first time in, in a few years over the long course of a year in which everybody's adjusting to him and he's trying to adjust back. So part of it is I do think that they're going to try to bank on the fact that their young players are going to progress. And I think that that's a good plan, but I do think that, Second base is a place where they could, you know, maybe they look at Neil Walker, but maybe they look to make uh, a big upgrade there. Maybe they decide that Domingo Santana is their opportunity to go and get a high profile arm. And they've got somebody on, on, you know, the free agent list that they think that they can go and sign somebody to really handle a corner outfield spot. I don't see that to be all that likely, but those are the types of moves that you would start to look at if they really want to make a big upgrade. Could they shop Santana with the idea that it would be Brinson and Phillips in the outfield? Cause I mean, Phillips is ready to go. Phillips is ready to go. I mean, I also think that, you know, I, I think a lot of people would not like it, but you could shop Santana thinking that you wanted to put Brinson in center and you wanted to move Broxton over to right field. I don't think that's the best plan in the entire world, but the reason that Phillips is ready to go in terms of he has nothing else to prove it in AAA, but he, you would then have two people in your outfield that you would be trying to ride out the waves of being a rookie in, in the majors and, well, and having I, to adjust. And so I know that's difficult to rely on that. We've had the sell high questions, though. I mean, would Santana Certainly. be more of a better sell high uh, prospect? not prospect, but a sell high player since he's actually a, a guy with some kind of history as a prospect that's now producing in the majors. I mean, would that be legit, you know, quote unquote, sell high that they could actually cash in on? Like well, as opposed you, to Thames or somebody like that, where we're kind of right. like, well, like if, if you consider selling high, the fact that you're selling a good player. Yeah. I, I selling high, you know, to me has always been, you know, the sell high and buy low has always been, you know, try to sell the person while they're at the peak because you expect them to decline a little bit. So I don't think that, you know, Santana really fits there, but Santana would be a really unpopular move if they moved him. Well, I mean, a legit that, sell high probably was always going to be unpopular. Absolutely. Right. And absolutely. I mean, getting back to the question, he was talking about the idea of getting a major upgrade, taking Santana out of the equation and you know, going with Phillips slash Broxton slash Brinson in that mix, you're talking about a downgrade, not an upgrade. Well, but at least idea, on paper. But the idea is you're actually getting talent back though by selling sure. Santana. So I mean, it's again a little bit different. Right. So yeah. Um, okay, we can keep going on this, but I'm going to keep us moving along. Uh, question from Nick Zettel: It seems like the pitching is light years ahead of the bats for the Brewers, both at the MLB level and minors. What changed with the organizational approach? Uh, JP, you want to handle that one first? I, I read that question and trying to, you know, be a professional and prepare for once. Um, so I, I looked at this and I don't really understand the perception of pitching the years ahead of the bats, unless it's just the fact that you know, the guys down in Carolina didn't progress as quickly as everybody expected. I mean, that's really the only thing that I can see about the organization and the only defense could be uh, leveled against, you know, the hitters. Because, I mean, Brenton hasn't taken a step back. I don't understand. Who's who's the pitching that's a light, who's light years ahead of the bats? I guess you'd say Burns had a big it, the biggest breakout in the system this year was Burns. But even, I mean, he's talking about the MLB level as well. And I mean, for Jimmy Nelson, you have Orlando Arcia and Domingo Santana both taking steps forward. Well, and Chase right. Anderson. Well, and Chase, yeah. But the point well, is, a bunch of guys, I think, right. off that Jimmy Nelson, that's three years in the making, right? I mean, that is that is a long development curve, which is good. I mean, that's exactly what you should be expecting from young players. You should be thinking about longer development curves. But and not freaking out when the when it takes time. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. But I take it to mean, you know, haters had a great year. But suddenly thinking of him as somebody who's light years ahead of the bats when Hater has huge question marks about whether or not he can move to the rotation and whether or not that can be a success. Yeah, Hater's been more uh, exciting Randall, than great. Right. Well, I mean, he's actually been quite good in, in, out of the bullpen. But Well, the results have I'm been not, good. The process. I was going to say, everybody can kind of see, you know, he's getting guys to swing at stuff, but you kind of wonder if he's out there for more than a couple innings, how much they keep swinging. Well, and he's only throwing fastballs. Yeah, right. And he walks guys right. at a, a rate that if you put that in the rotation – that's just not going to work the same way it's working. Right. I think I, what I do, I take this to be Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, uh, Zach Brown, guys like that. I take it to be a question in terms of why are those guys progressing faster than the bats? And the answer from, for my money is a couple of different things. And it's guys like Zach Brown, guys like Corbin Burns. Those are, those are college guys. Those are guys that don't necessarily need a lot of lead time in terms of playing professional ball. And they can learn to be able to adapt what they already know. Once you get above double a things get a little bit hairier and Corbin Burns has struggled a little bit more than people expected actually in the last month or so, but nobody's talking about that because his overall numbers are still quite pretty, but you know, you've got your Trent Clark, you've got Isan Diaz, you've got, Lucas uh, Ersig, you know, Corey you've got Lucas Ersig, but like, and those guys are not coming from powerhouse college programs, right? I mean, your only guy who's your only real hitting prospect who's coming from an elite college program is Corey Ray, and he struggled a little bit. But Keston Hira, he's done the exact same thing, and he's come out and raped. Right. Hey, so, is there any interest in Lutz is also having a fantastic start to? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's good career. For, well, I mean, most everybody doesn't in, in Helena, but that's a fair point as well. Is there any chance that Hira is kind of an answer at second base coming going forward? I uh, don't. Not next year. For my money, I don't think for next year. Would you be shocked though if he was if he put himself in the position to get called up late next year, like August? I'd be shocked if he moved that quickly. I mean, unless he just absolutely lights it up and moves to double A before May. But yeah, I would, I'd be, I'd be surprised if he moved that quickly. I, as much as I like him, that's just, that's an astronomical rise. It is, but he seems to be a pretty advanced. I mean, if anybody's an advanced bat, that's going to move quick. He seems to be that profile. Yeah. Right. But still you're looking at a guy who's not even done anything above low A. Yeah. Right. And not played defensively for better part of a year. Right. So, um, okay. Next question from Ulsperge. I think he's our Croatian listener. <laughs> His full name is later down on here. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Well, we're just going to go with it. No, he's, it's just username the whole time. So, uh, he asks, uh, the Brewers starting pitching has caught a lot of criticism in the preseason. And now Jimmy Nelson, Chase Anderson, and Zach Davies are all looking like early strong core with three years of control. Is this real or is it a mirage? Um, for my money, I think it's pretty, I think it, we're looking at a pretty real uh, step forward. I think Jimmy Nelson has taken the biggest step forward. Um, Zach Davies has been more treading water. I think, it, you know, realistically he was maybe even a little bit better last year than he has been on the balance for this year. Well, and we've seen these swings with Zach Davies as well. Right. We've seen that in the past. And Chase Anderson, I, I was able to catch a few innings of him while I was on my trip, and he is looking like he didn't lose much in the way of stuff or whatever when he uh, got injured. So I think that we're looking at guys that are pretty I, – I think it's a pretty decent core moving forward. I don't know if it's – is that more of a two, three, four than a one, two, three? Probably for for a really good team. Probably. It's probably more two, three, four for a good team than a one, two, three, but it's a good place to start. And like you said, he we're looking at three years plus of control on all those guys. And that's fantastic. So Yeah, I think Jimmy Nelson's obviously taken the biggest step forward. I, I agree with I agree with Ryan that the Brewers rotation still needs somebody to really headline it. Even, even if you want to give J Jimmy Nelson the benefit of the doubt and say that he can be, you know, he can lead the rotation. You're still, you still need a really strong two there then. And the biggest thing about Chase Anderson that gets me a little bit scared is I don't like velocity increases. Um, 
obviously I like them in concept because it means that they're going to perform better. But in terms of being able to project something long-term that those velocity increases come, you know, velo spikes, they come from somewhere and it's usually altering your mechanics in some way. And so it's how often is that sustainable in terms of being able to productively throw harder across the board, and not put extra stress on your body. There's an open question for that. And the biggest thing about Chase Anderson, he's going to be 30 next year. I mean, he's not a 25 year old with three years of control. So I've, I've got some question marks there, but obviously as of right now, he's a, and I said last, last week that I think he's one of the biggest focal points for the team. If they want to compete is that Chase Anderson needs to come in and do the job. And he looks like, as you said, that he hasn't necessarily lost his stuff. Um, I think Zach Davies, I, I, I like Zach Davies actually. I think he, he could be, he's a lot like Marco Estrada for me. Um, somebody that I beat the drum for, for years and got, I got criticized for that for a long period of time because doesn't necessarily have the profile that you want. He can give up fly balls. He can give up homers, but Zach Davies has what you want in a back end pitcher who can sometimes be a, a mid rotation pitcher is he is plus command when it's on and he can throw three or four pitches for strikes in all quadrants. And that's exactly what you want from somebody like that. And Zach Davies since I think it's the beginning of May has a mid three ERA and has been actually very good. And I know that people don't like that. He has a blow up outing for here or there, but you know, that's getting pretty nitpicky when you're looking at somebody who's about a three, five ERA the last time I looked since the beginning of May. Yeah. Uh, Jason Donlinger asks, is Zach Davies more the pitcher we've seen in late 2016 and later this year, or the guy that we saw early in each season? So I think you're kind of answering it with that one. Right. Because this late this year has actually been much longer than it's not just since the beginning of July. It's actually since the beginning of the beginning ish of May. But also, like you said, he has his blow up outing. So I think the idea that he's just going to think give it was you... only one, though. If I if I remember, yeah, I'd have to I'd have to go back and look at exactly what his outings were. I think that's I mean, right. It's I thought right. he I thought he had a run where he had maybe back to back poor outings, but yeah, it, it hasn't been extended. He, it's not like he's given us, you know, a July that was poor or something like that. But I again, that's going to be part of the issue with Davies is we're gonna we're gonna really enjoy the runs where he's pitching well, and then I think we have to just acknowledge that he's going to go out and give us some clunkers occasionally too because right. he's he's so dependent on locating his pitches. If that's off at all, I mean, he gets hammered. He's the right. new Dave so, Bush. I was going to say, I'll actually give you the the legit numbers since I was able to look it up. Since since April 25th, so he went five scoreless innings against the Reds on April 25th. And starting there, he's had a 3-2-8 ERA over 23 outings. So, I mean, that's that's especially in an inflated run run environment this year that's damn good and yes he has given up you know he gave up six runs to the twins on august 10th and you know it looks like he gave up five runs to the to the phillies in in july once and gave up seven runs to somebody else uh the pirates in june but aside from that you know like he's been he's been probably are he's he's actually only gone fewer than six innings twice since the uh since june 20th as well so all the criticisms about him not being able to go deep enough into games is pretty much not well founded at this point as well yeah i mean like i was saying I, he's the new dave bush and marco estrada is another good one where if you're talking about a guy who is your fourth starter that's you're in pretty good shape if if that guy because he can be very good for extended runs and when he does throw a clunker in there which is sort of the profile of all three of those guys you just sort of accept it as the the cost of doing business and you move on with that and it's it's just fine the fact that he keeps you in so many other games is the is what you really want out of guys at that point in the back end and right. you know even some innings and, too and being a mid-rotation starter by definition is having a clunker in you once in a while. Otherwise, he wouldn't be a mid-rotation starter. And also, let's not forget that he is leading the league in wins with Zach Renke and Clayton Kershaw, so he's clearly among those two as far as talent is concerned. He has the grit and the fortitude. He does. (laughs) So, uh, Anthony Pollard asks, should the Brewers ever consider running a pitching staff like the Dodgers where they use the 10-day DL almost like another roster spot? Yes. Well, 
And care to elaborate? Yeah, I think that that's something that they've looked at. They've even done that at various points in the season. They've done some things with their rotation where they've played some games with guys going on the DL who maybe weren't actually hurt for realsies. Um, looking at Matt Garza, but that's what Matt Garza exists for. That's what the ten day DL exists yeah. for. Is for Matt Garza. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially. 32 33 year old pitcher you can find uh, you can find an injury whenever you want sure um i think that next year we could see even more of this as the depth starts to hopefully bubble up where you're looking at guys like woodruff you're wanting to keep woodruff in the rotation um hater potentially moving to the rotation and you know seeing maybe a guy like corbin burns at some point they could start doing some of this to bounce guys around to enable them to run a little bit deeper of a rotation and keep everybody fresh and healthy. Well, so yeah, it might be a better way to manage innings for younger pitchers. They haven't quite got to the point where they have those guys in the rotation where they want to then fill out with more Matt Garza's in the rotation to uh, use, use those DL spots. So yeah, I, especially to like get hater at through a season where you're not going to want to push him to 180 innings, obviously, yeah. if you're going to start him. So, so, I mean, they're probably a year, maybe next season they could start trying it, or two seasons from now, but heck, we could see uh, it in September. I was going to say, I'll go on the other side of this, and I'll say probably not, um, because one of, the biggest, one of the biggest reasons that you would use a 10-day DL spot instead of just sending somebody down to the majors, or down to the minors, because it's the, sen- it's the same 10-day lead time, is you're doing it with established big league players who are out of options. So that's the Dodgers are doing that with established big leaguers who have injury issues. And in order for the Brewers to do that, they would need to be able to take up another 40 man spot with an established big leaguer, which they're already in a 40 man roster crunch. And so, I mean, the, the things that you guys are talking about in terms of managing innings for young pitchers, then you would just send them down to triple a there would be no reason to have to use a dl spot why do you have to do things easier than we're trying to come up with? i mean for the players don't get me wrong it would be way better for the than send putting them on the dl than sending them down triple a because they get paid more we're trying to so we're we're trying to money ball this year we want to come up with a very complex way to uh, solve an easy problem look if it wanted to be like a corporate welfare system where they actually wanted to make sure they paid their players well enough then sure absolutely use the 10-day dl instead of sending them down to triple a but uh, you have a lot more scrutiny in terms of medical records and things like that than being able to functionally do it. And they could actually create a system in which they just paid their players a little bit better. And if that was the biggest issue, not having to put them on DL. Well, that's on the players union to uh, fight for that. So MLB uh, still has a players union. Yeah. <laughs> well, compared to the NFL. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's that. It's only the, N- the NBA seems to be the only league that is really trying to fight for anything for the players. So hopefully the, uh, MLB players union can and they got smacked around in their last CBA sure well it would actually be more functional if the players down in the minors actually could be represented because instead they just become sacrificial lambs for the big leaguers to be able to get whatever they need yeah exactly that's the biggest issue uh moving on Nathan K asks are the Brewers trying to break our hearts and is there any chance that Kian Broxton will be a fourth outfielder next year so those are two separate questions no, they're not trying to break our hearts because they're putting you in a position to care about games in September still. It is something when the, when the Packers are approaching and you can still say, I have legitimate games to watch for the Brewers. I mean, that's a good thing. Let's let's not pass up. Let, let, well, let's those, not pretend I have like legitimate. They're going to be legit. Like people are going to like the Miller Park will be packed. Oh, yeah. Like I have a legitimate decision to make coming up about uh, postseason tickets for our season ticket group. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they sent out uh, for season ticket holders. They sent yeah. out the postseason request for money. Gotta gotta get my money in by the seventh. In terms of the Keon Broxton question, uh, I yeah, absolutely. There's a chance that he could be the fourth outfielder next season. I don't think it's extremely high, just because again, you've still got Brett Phillips down there, and I think Keon Broxton's probably the piece that makes the most sense if you want to try to move an outfielder for either a relief arm or a big league starter and the fact that Keon Broxton's actually been playing quite well for the last month and a half is kind of uh well or month or so has been 
I think it's turned out exactly how David Stearns and and his team would have liked it to turned out turn out when everybody was criticizing the club for bringing Brinson down and putting Broxton back uh, as the starting center fielder. So yeah, I mean, sure there is. I don't necessarily know how great of a fourth outfielder he would be, just because I I do think that Keon Broxton somebody who needs consistent playing time, um, just because of the the kind of hitter he is and we don't necessarily know how he plays in left and right i think he'd be fine but we'd need to see it more but he is a good defensive outfielder so i mean he serves he's solid he's solid yeah but that's solid at center field absolutely but yeah i if i'm going to be basing it off of defense i'd much rather have brett phillips there than keon broxton i don't think there's any chance i would be i would be shocked if they went into next year with braun broxton santana Phillips and Brinson all on the roster like that would be if they're one of them is going to be gone in the offseason one way or another I think I'm not sure who it's going to be I probably would lean towards Broxton being the most likely but it could be one of the others too depending on what the situation is and what pops up but it would be hard to see all five of those guys being on the roster coming into next year and I mean the 40-man roster I mean with the team so I think somebody's going to end up going, but I just wouldn't want to really hazard a guess as to who. Well, again, we've been talking about a roster crunch, and yeah, the, the, Broxton's probably going to get caught up in that going into next season. So, Right, uh, and it would actually be kind of a nice move for him if he was able to move somewhere where he has open spots for playing time again. If, he's st- if he stays in Milwaukee, he's going to be caught behind Brinson. And so for him, as much as everybody doesn't like to think about it in this way, like it would be a good opportunity for him to continue to still go on and be a big leaguer as he's approaching 30. Mm-hmm. So uh, reliever talk is Corey Kniebel elite. And that's from uh, all Spurge again. See, you didn't have the full name. It was just, uh, you want to take this first or do you want me to? Uh, no, because by definition for myself, elite reliever needs more, uh, needs more of a track record. Right. I think you, you're looking at, you want to see like 200 elite innings, like what you'd see from a starter before you would say elite. And he's, you know, around a hundred elite innings at this point. So, well, yeah, it's hard to say he's been elite this season, let alone. I mean, cause he's had some pretty bad road bumps here. He's, he's had moments. I think that. The biggest thing for me though, if you look at elite relievers is you don't have any question marks about their stuff and Corey can every single time. You're still wondering if he's going to have the the curveball. Well, if he's able to command it, if he even has it, sometimes it turns into like some slurvy slider pitch. Oh yeah. Okay. Because sometimes he just can't get on top of it. If, and so like, I don't, I still have question marks on, on that sort of thing, much like, you know, I, I don't, think they're the same sort of pitcher, but it's the same thing about Derek Turnbow, right? When, when Turnbow was there every single time, you're like, if he's got the curve, he's lights out. But if he doesn't have the curve, we're in trouble. And Knable's a has a better fastball and has better command than, than Derek Turnbow. But, uh, you know, he's still got the same sort of question mark where if you start to look at the elite relievers across the league, every single time they're out there, you know that they've got their great stuff. Sometimes, you know, they don't locate it that great. Sometimes somebody makes a good swing on it and things happen because it's baseball and you're throwing to, to hitters who are also elite athletes, but you don't have question marks about whether or not they're going to come to the mound with their elite stuff. You don't well, have that. You don't have that question with, uh, with Jesus. I can't think of, I mean, they can lose it. Or old as Chapman's getting knocked around now. So absolutely. But he only has one pitch and it's a fastball. <laughs> Well, guys go through even the best relievers go through ups and downs where they have like a bad month. Mariano Rivera would have a bad month and people in New York would freak out about it. And they'd be like, "Who's Mariano done. And like seven years later, he's still like pitching as the best reliever in baseball. So, so I'm trying to I'm trying to think of who's Boston's closer. One of the best one of the best relievers in the last 20 years, if not all time. And I can't think of his name because I'm an idiot. <laughs> and because he did that, you're going to screw us up. Right, um, well, I can't think of what's his name. <laughs> Uh, now I'm completely blank. And he was in Kimbrel, Craig Kimbrel. He was in Thank Atlanta. You. Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Kimbrel also had like a road bump in his career where he was not great last year, where he he looked like a pretty mediocre closer, and now he's back to being super stud elite again. Well, he was stuck right, in, but even, he was stuck in even, San Diego. But even like when you're, even when he hit his road bump, like he was still good. He was good, but he wasn't. He wasn't Craig Kimbrell Superman. Well, but also right. you just back to that again. It's, 
you didn't question like, his like, stuff. Right. And it's not like Tre- Trevor Rosenthal where like you're like, well, are you even a good reliever? Well, hold on. No, people were questioning Kimbrel's stuff coming out of last year going into this year he had had a little bit of degradation of the stuff and people were like is he now just going to be like a good reliever instead of being you know craig kimberl superman and right but that's answered that's, that but that's a that's the different kind of question than somebody like naval where people were talking about you know when he did he need to which again was a ridiculous point but the questions are different right exactly <laughs> you kind of cut out there. We got a little bit of it, but uh, you were I, just talking about relief pitchers, so we're not going to spend much more time on this. So, um, Okay, uh, Jason Spitz has a question, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase it a little bit. Uh, basically, he's saying that the Brewers traded away their bats, and all of a sudden, uh, Jimmy Nelson and Chase Anderson um, developed. Knable showed he could be a closer. And he thinks that they need hitters in the lineup. So is there any chance that the Brewers will add another bat for playoff contention or is Stearns done? And he kind of wants to know whether or not they can rent Carlos Gomez at this point. I mean, we're talking about Carlos Gomez as a leadoff hitter. Uh, Carlos Gomez as because it's he he's I've talked to him about this a bunch on Twitter and yeah, it. I would not want Carlos Gomez to lead off for me. Yeah, Gomez is past his leadoff days, but I think it's just getting another bat in the lineup. I don't know. I don't. Does Gomez fit in this outfield? Do you bump Broxton just to play Gomez every I wouldn't, day? I would just. I'll just give my answer and say not all. I. I Carlos Gomez is one of my favorite players to watch. I don't want Carlos Gomez in in this lineup because I don't think he necessarily makes it better or brings any question marks that aren't don't already exist with Broxton. I don't necessarily think leadoff hitter is that big of a deal. Um, and I don't think that they bring anybody in. Yeah. I think not to put a wet blanket on everything. Like that's, that's my feeling on it. If they, if they add somebody, I think it's going to be a reliever before the, before the non waiver deadline. Sure. And yeah, we're we're past the point where it's easy to get a trade done. We should talk about the big trade that happened where Paulo Espino got traded for cash uh, considerations to Texas. Yeah. That happened last night. There's another guy off the 40, man. So go ahead. I, I How much cash? If you want to bring up a topic and talk about it, I'm much, not going to stop you. How was, much extra cash does my, that put uh, in Mark Antanasio's pocket? That was, that was my talking about it. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's about where I am with it. I saw that come down during the uh, games last night and was like, oh. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> next. Okay. Should so, we get to the next one then? We're done with that yeah. talk. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Okay. Uh, who has the best players weekend nickname? The obvious answer is the mayor of DDC. This is Bill Walchak asking. So uh, it's been players weekend where they get to pick uh, nicknames on the back of their jerseys and wear cool international looking outfits and stuff like that so uh does anybody have a preference on nicknames and shaw's ddc stands for yeah the mayor of ding dong city that's it ding dong city uh do we have any other favorite nicknames from this i was embarrassed that we had to tell that to you yes i was i was embarrassed when i had to tell that to steve i you know Things I don't care about, relief pitchers and nicknames. <laughs> so that's where all of that ranks. And But I'm not going to, like, crap all over the fact that they're doing it this weekend. I'm fine with that if they want to have fun and put, you know, nicknames on the back of their jerseys and stuff like that. But, no, I don't sit there and look up everybody's nicknames on their player, their baseball reference pages. Um, Yeah, I have an absolute favorite because it's what I've called him and made the joke since he got to the major leagues. Uh, I've... Davies being bat boy is fantastic because that's he that's what he looks like he looks like a bat boy so that's so just, but it's very on the nose but it's you very, could, but whatever. then but then what about Matt Garza going with the count but yeah I <laughs> Davies I like better he can count the number of days he's been on the DL one day uh, on the DL ah uh, ah uh, 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 yeah. no hey JP do you have a favorite nickname uh, I I actually like Hernan Perez's uh, Pon Blanco for white bread because that was it says it says on the website that it was lovingly bestowed upon him by Matt Garza. Um, 
the lovingly part, I'm not sure if that's sarcastic or not, but I enjoy the fact that uh, Hernan Perez's nickname is uh, Spanish for white bread. Not necessarily sure why I like that, but yeah, or what the story behind it is. But I, I think out of the vast majority of them, where they all just are variations on the person's name, that's one that just sticks out as being something that just is a little bit off the wall. Showmingo is above average as well. One wasn't uh, Pina's like pineapple or something. Well, but that's very on the nose. Well, I mean, well, Jimmy I don't speak is... Spanish, so I found it amusing. <laughs> and. Big big sweat for Jimmy Nelson is good because, like, I actually think in in L.A. right now, I think that they actually have three different jerseys for him to be able to switch into just in case he sweats through it too much. Well, yeah, because it, it's supposed to be, like, 100 degrees out there today, I think. I don't know if it got up that high, but they were saying it was going to be pretty hot for the game. So, yeah, definitely big sweat. That's a good one. That's uh, just embracing what you are is a big, big Southern boy. In the right. in the actual yes, he's from Alabama it, or went to Alabama. Well, he's yes, I would say he's he was from, from Florida, from Niceville, Niceville, Florida. Yeah. Um, but the article online when it talks about it said Will Smith actually gave uh, Nelson the name Big Sweat, and he said he actually goes through five or six jerseys and undershirts each game. So he has to. And order that's just sitting on the bench. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, uh, last question. Uh, JP, I need you to explain to us what launch angle means. Yeah, I'll I saw, you, I saw bit, you talking but... about this online, so I want to make sure you explain what, what you meant by launch angle on Twitter. I, it's a baseball term. Uh, if, you needed to, if you need to look it up, there are now things called stat cast. There are things online that you could look at for the whole sabermetric revolution and the whole launch angle revolution in which people are trying to hit more fly balls. If you need that explained to you, Wick, I can help you offline. Well, I, I'm yeah. definitely going to link back to the tweet that you used it in so everybody can see uh, exactly what, what the one that, about what it would be awkward to yell in bed. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It <would> be awkward. <laughs> Pretty sure that was like one of the more self-explanatory things about it. Not that it was a euphemism for something. Oh yeah. Okay. But so, I thought, but I was told that we're going to talk about instant is that, replay. Is that our first sex oh, joke? That it was for our podcast. I think that's our first sex joke. That is right. I totally forgot about instant replay. So you have thoughts on instant replay, and they're and wrong. Clearly, yes. Clearly, they're wrong. We do not agree on this. So uh, give us, give me your thoughts on instant replay and why it's a horrible, terrible thing that they should do away with. Okay, first of all, I don't hate the entire concept of instant replay. I hate the extent for which instant replay has gone into the game. And I hate the corollary, which is the idea that there should be an automated strike zone. Also hate that. What I do like is being able to use instant replay for things like being able to call if something is fair or foul, being able to see if something was a home run, something like that. Totally fine. I don't need to, I could give a crap if somebody's foot bounced a millimeter off the base and we need to watch something for three minutes to figure out if he was actually safe or not. I could, I just couldn't care less. That's unfortunate. Well, I think part of my issue is because no it's it's the entire thing that everybody has to be obsessed with something if it's fair if it's worthwhile if something's completely accurate because it somehow just taints the game if something if luck happens throughout the entire game humans play the entire game and suddenly that people can't get over the fact that something was maybe didn't go their way because you couldn't tell if something was actually uh somebody was out and we had to watch something for three minutes, and I still couldn't tell if he was out or safe. Like, those sort of things just... I I have such a hard time getting past those things because it's all going to shake out. And the fact that it's it's a sporting event, I can, I can live with the fact if somebody should have been called out and they were safe in the second inning, it's not going to ruin my entire day. And it's ultimately not going to change the course of the game. I mean, I mean, I think part of the issue is the way that they've implemented replay. First off, it shouldn't be on coaches or managers to try to get 
the replay call right. That's on the officiating crew. So all of the replay should be initiated by the fishing, uh, initiated by the officiating crew. I think also if they want to speed it up, they need to have an ump that's just watching every play on that game that can then call down and say that plays incorrect and basically have it instantly overturned. So I think part of it's the way that they've implemented a replay, not the idea behind like, Hey, let's get calls right. Because let's be honest, but you still, but no matter what you do, you're still going to get calls wrong, but you'll get more right with replay. You will get substantially more right. What's the breaking point in which it's worth it? Well, I mean, they should strive for a hundred percent. Correct. Like, I don't think you say, why can't we, why can't we do that by actually making sure that umps, are held accountable for things and that you actually try to make umpires better before you actually try to do things like automate the strike zone, try to make everything being able to be reviewable or not. Can umpires actually, no, they can't be a hundred percent correct. And neither can automated strike zones or neither can, uh, can, neither can replay. Can they get better at this point? I mean, do we think that the umpires are poor? So I, I think we're just to the point where we're looking at it and saying, okay, we have technology. How can we employ it to make the game better? Now I'm not saying that they've done it correctly in all cases. Like I said, managers should not have to challenge because it is not on managers to get calls correct on the field. But so any I think system, any system you devise is going to turn into a manager challenge system. Uh, and again, because managers will come out and they'll argue and they'll say, I want this looked at. So they just skip the middleman on that and said, no, we're just going to, we're just going to create a challenge system because any system was going to be that anyway. But that's what I'm saying. If they have the dedicated ump watching to begin with, I, you're, you're, you're still going to have managers come out and argue that they want something reviewed where the dedicated ump says no. Well, you know, you have some old timers who miss the days when managers came out and kicked dirt and <laughs> threw bases and stuff like that. So I guess we'd be getting back to those days and everybody would be happy, right? I, so you get better calls no. and you get managers throwing hissy fits out on the field and then we're all happy. You bring back, uh, I don't know, is Lupinella still alive? <laughs> yes. I don't know. Um, I mean... The goal is to get as many calls right as possible, and I think that it does bog, it can bog games down. I think where it really matters, though, you need it for the postseason, and it doesn't make any sense to have different rules, vastly different rules on replay for the postseason and the regular season. In the postseason, in the regular season, you're right. A lot of the stuff shakes out, and you're gonna. It's largely gonna even out over the course of a season. You're gonna get some calls against you. And, but in a in a five game series, in a one game playoff, in a situation like that, you have to you, there. There's a higher bar there. You have to make sure you're getting as much right as you can. I think because those games are they're already there's already so much flukiness and so much chance in those games, and the best team doesn't necessarily win at you know a high rate in the playoffs. So not like the other sports. And so I think that when you're talking about the playoffs, you absolutely have to get the stuff right. And you just don't want something to turn the Don Denkinger thing. You do not want a World Series to be decided on a horribly blown call. I mean, you, you just that would be easy to fix. There's just no reason for that when you but have like, the technology. So, so the biggest the biggest thing is for me, right? Like I I actually mostly hate all of the discussion that goes on around replay in terms of whether or not something was called correctly, whether or not something is fair, whether or not something turned out because the way it was supposed to turn out, whether or not somebody actually deserved to win or not. Like those are just questions that are not useful. And I personally just, I, I hate the entire reason that like this myth of a meritocracy in life has somehow been brought to, to sports in which we have to say whoever wins deserved it. They were better and people can't get over the fact that sometimes when you're not better, you lose. And sometimes that's okay. And sometimes you didn't deserve it, but you can get over it. And like that discussion being brought into sports and that we're trying to just make sure that whoever is better wins and whoever deserves it wins. And anything that deviates from this nebulous idea of who deserves winning and losing Anything that deviates from that just ends up sending people into a meltdown and it drives me nuts. And obviously I'm melting down about the meltdown. <laughs> so like that's that's a different discussion. Um, and I would also like to say that automated strike zone Twitter, like 
all of those are wrong, so it makes me want to gouge my eyes out. Hey, all strike zones are terrible, so if it's a computer calling the strike zone, who cares? Who cares? Be well, if it's who cares, then I choose the one that's more aesthetically pleasing, which is the guy behind the plate. Well, hold it. on. It's not naked gun behind the plate. We are not seeing some, you know, dancing idiot calling balls and strikes. It's usually right, pretty boring, so, so I don't I, think it's I, that I'm aesthetically... Pleasing. You know, they can record somebody saying ball and strike and play it over the loudspeaker if you still right, need but that. But somebody's going to get mad at somebody about something with the strike zone, which everybody always will because no strike zone is perfect. And even the automated strike zone, the the lines in terms of what actually bar makes a strike and a ball, they're made by humans. Uh, and they aren't dynamic to be able to change bat or swing to swing, player to player. They're all, and Harry Pavlidis, who is, you know, one of the, the gurus behind Brooks baseball that everybody uses for this also says that it's just blatantly not ready by any stretch of the imagination, nor is it even close to being accurate. Yet. Well, okay. So not, so, not ready is different than should never be implemented. Sure. Yeah. If we get to a part where it's like almost completely perfect, then sure we can have that discussion, but that's not anywhere close to right now. And so like the oh. whole robot umps now should just get thrown out the window. I think we agree on that. Cause yeah, I've read the the Harry stuff too, and it yeah, it doesn't sound like it's ready. And the part of the problem with having an automated strike zone is when an umpire misses a call, they can make something up. When an automated system misses a call, everybody was just going to stand there and go, "Wait, what?" You mean like right. it not Nobody's giving you a ball or a strike? You get mad that there just won't be like if, a call. So like if the if the system isn't working on a pitch that's close and nobody was looking at it now everybody's going to go well what was it well and what's going to happen if if something if it gets called a a strike or a ball and it shouldn't have because there's still going to be a margin for error who are you going to get mad at are you going or is everyone going to be like well now this system needs to get tweaked again and uh, they need to make sure that the margin for error is even smaller and we're going to get mad at like some nebulous computer system well, well like if okay. people are going to get mad about something, I'd much rather them yell at a person because it's at least more entertaining. I mean, that's and the margin. I would say the margins aren't that big right now as no. it is because the, all the margins we use to be able to say that the, the umps suck are already flawed. Sure. I, I think it's just that's the point when we rise against the machine. So we just wait for the, our opportunity in a few years in our, our post apocalyptic uh, future that's quickly approaching. I will I say, say we're enough, pretty much we're already in, there. I say we're in the bottom of the sixth, then Jimmy Nelson still has a no-no going. I was wondering, should we actually talk about it? I guess it's gonna it's gonna happen after the fact, so we can say, yeah, it's still a no-hitter going on. We've right jinxed now. it, guys. Yeah. This we've totally jinxed it. There you or go. people it, are gonna listen to this and be like I was gonna say, if you're listening on Monday or Tuesday, you know why he lost his no-hitter. I would say if he does get a no-hitter now, is this the like the definitive proof that jinxes don't exist? I want the record to show I'm not the one that said it first. I'm not the one that brought it up. You have no cojones. I I am a total weirdo superstitious about this one particular thing. Okay, so while we watch Jimmy Nelson take his no-hitter into, well, he's in the bottom of the sixth right now. No, uh, he just blew it. Utley yeah. just got a base hit. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, well. There it is. Chase Utley gets a single, like, literally while we were talking about it. Juan, so. Juan maybe Nevis, Jinx's, Juan maybe record is safe. Jinxes still do exist. I don't, I don't think... The sixth inning is late enough to really get like amped up about no hitters and stuff like that. So I have no problem just Dude, ignoring. I, I went to a minor league game a couple of weeks ago, and, uh, and they had like no four. Go, there was a no hitter going into the ninth inning. Oh no! I thought I was going to see like my first no hitter in purple. Well, that would be legit. I thought you were going to say you saw like six pitchers throw a no hitter. We saw no, a but no it hitter. Was, it was like four. <laughs> it was like four I, the Royals game that I went to last Tuesday. Uh, Chris Duffy. I think went five or six. I think it was in. I think it was in the sixth inning, like a batter or two in, that he gave uh, up the. I would like the to hit. point out Danny Danny Duffy. Danny, yeah. Why do I keep saying Chris Duffy? It's not the first time I did. Uh, Chris Chris Duffy, famous outfielder, right? Apparently not that famous. Okay, uh, this week the Brewers have a day off. Today, Monday, and then they play two against St. Louis, and then they have a four-game series against the Nationals. So, Ryan, what would be successful? What would be successful uh, homestand for the Brewers here? Three and three, anything three and three and better is fine. Uh, if you're lower than three and three, you're you're it's some trouble. Do they need to take two of those from the Cardinals? No, 
doesn't it, matter. It doesn't matter how they're spread out? No, not okay. with the Cardinals at this point, I don't think. JP? I Again, I think they just need to stay within touching distance of the Cubs uh, heading into their couple of series against Chicago. So I'm not necessarily – I think that, again, if they don't get swept by either, they should still be in a good shape unless the Cubs can just reel off a bunch of wins. But ultimately, their entire performance is going to be just based off of trying to stay in within touching distance of the Cubs. I think if it's a little bit more abstract, I think, yeah, I think if they can do three and three with the Nationals coming to town, I think that would be just fine. Um, but again, three and three doesn't look that great if the Cubs can rip off six in a row. So it's it's all about staying within touching distance of the Cubs. So when those uh, big series happen in September mathematically got a shot because I think that, you know, those will be fun series. Okay. That's going to do it for the show this week. As always follow us on Twitter at MKE tailgate. And you can also submit questions to Milwaukee's tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page, uh, Milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and we're on Stitcher as well. Uh, you can leave reviews and hey, we start reading them. I didn't realize we have like nine reviews right now. And one of the reviews, they were all five star. One of the reviews was four star, and they wanted more like cheeky banter, basically. Well, I think we did a lot of cheeky banter I this think, episode. I think this episode probably was a little bit more of that. So, uh, whoever gave us four stars, you can go back, amend, and give us five. Um, so, anyways, uh, subscribe. You won't miss uh, an episode that way. And then, thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. It's not what I am, even though my zip code has changed. I might smile.